Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. Hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. Today is a very exciting day. We're kind of watching what happens in Georgia. We're, we're going to see what, what happens down there. I think there's lots of reasons for optimism these days. It's, it's exciting to see 2020 in the past. Hopefully we can make 2021 a better year. I've had quite a few phone calls lately with some very exciting projects. I thought today would be a great day to reach out to a very good friend of mine and uh, and longtime professional in our industry to kind of get some insights on what we need to do to move forward. Uh, we've all kind of spent a lot of time pivoting in 2020, but the the goal of all that pivoting was to remain in the industry and keep our heads above water so that we can still thrive in 2021 and 2022 and so on. So I hope you guys will uh, help me welcome Nick Whitehouse. He is the CEO and lighting designer at Fireplay. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it, Nick. Thanks for having me, Chris. Absolutely. So I wanted to reach out to you because I follow you on LinkedIn and I see all these amazing photos and I have to go back and I have to look at the descriptions of each one of them like, there's no way that's happening right now. And, and sure enough, most of them are from past experiences, but some of them I, I get tricked. I'm like, oh my God, that is amazing. How is that happening in an isolation period? And then there's a, they're always followed by a very good description of what they are, how they're being safe, how we can still be creative during a pandemic. And it, it just blows my mind, the things that you're still able to create. Yeah, I think I think it's important that we still do create and we've been trying to find ways to still connect audiences with the, the musicians that they like to follow and the events that they want to go and see. And you know, one of the things that is always important to me and the Fireplay team is that we create experiences that people remember and not just watch. So they experience it and kind of get involved and that drove a lot of the things that we got involved in last year. And we've finally done a few of those cool things and the results have been fantastic actually. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us in this crazy life, but as humans, we're a social creature. We're going to still find ways to connect and people are still willing to pay for creative ways to connect. And it sounds like you you're still tapped into that. Yeah. And, and I think what's really important is, um, there was so much content available online with streams and things like that, that people were getting, you know, Zoom, bored of Zoom, bored of sitting on computers, bored of watching screens. And we were always trying to strive to find ways of involving them 
in the show because you know we all know we're not going to replace standing in a room and watching a live show there's nothing like that experience mm-hmm. and no matter how much technology exists out there right now nothing is going to replace that so what we're trying to do is find new and different ways of having people involved and connect with the music that they love and the people that they like so that's kind of what drove us to the virtual crowd stuff the metallica show that we did and that you might have been you might have seen and just trying to find ways to to have people get excited about watching stuff online again i think one of the things that we will forever take away from this pandemic is what you were just talking about is now knowing that we can never replace the the in person live connection we 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 also have the tools to expand that to the rest of the world. We're no longer limited by venue size. I mean, we can, uh, you can take a Metallica event and even if you have a crowd of a thousand, you can still be broadcasting that to a hundred thousand. Exactly. And I think what's really cool is it's making us think about how music's going to be and live events are going to be consumed in the future. Because, you know, the constraint we've always had is touring and it's venue size and tickets that are available in that uh, particular venue are, you know, the logistics of moving from one country to another. And I think what this has done is opened up possibilities of different ways to do almost hybrid events and hybrid tours and connecting people who wouldn't traditionally be able to experience some of the bigger shows because of the country's prohibit has taken us, taking that show there and opening up the ability to watch those shows and be part of them. And I think taking it even further as well and actually being involved in in the show and you know it being interactive rather than just you standing watching something. So I think there's a lot of technology that a lot of different companies have developed over this year that are starting to emerge that are really cool. I think that's the creativity and ingenuity that a lot of people are overlooking these days. Uh, For example, I've scrolled through Facebook and I see uh, a handful of people posting like, hey, so I got an offer to go do a show, but they want me to do it for half my normal rate because uh, the client has been hit by COVID just as much as we have. And they're they're quite often asking for advice. Can I morally and justifiably take this gig for half my rate? Am I, are we racing to the bottom here? But it's exactly what you're saying. It's this level of creativity. Like, no, we shouldn't. We shouldn't settle for that. No, I, your insight I, on that. I think that's important. I think I think we're going to see a lot of that over this next year as we start to come back to events. Everyone took a hit. You know, our entire industry was devastated for last year. So, as we come back, I think everyone's going to try and make some of that back up. And what's really important and obviously vital for the crews and the creatives and the designers and everyone that that's on our end of this side is to kind of stick together. And, you know, we all did go through the pandemic and we all took a hit. So, you know, sharing in that and halving our rate, I don't think is fair so that the clients can carry on making what they were used to. I think there's got to be a, a mutual kind of place where we can get to. And, you know, even if that's, okay, we'll take a smaller rate up front because we understand it, but then give us a retainer or pay us extra on the road to keep us out there and, and ways to make it back up so that the actual crew and the designers don't take the hit. But maybe they share in the, in the trial and you know if we can get back out on tour in June, maybe it's, okay, our design fee used to be this, we'll take half, 
but every show you manage to perform will take a will take a role to be almost like the theatrical model. You know, and then everyone kind of shares in making that money back. If the ticket sales are going to be huge, like everyone's predicted, because people want to get back to it, then everyone wins. Yeah, I can. Uh, I would put myself in the category of I would be willing to pay double what I used to because I, I I'm that starved for concerts these days. And if that's the case, why should the designers and the crew take a cut to bring those shows to the people? <laughs> I guess they have to find enough of me's to to make it all justifiable. They need to find enough people that are just completely concert nuts. To oh, I think uh, there's plenty of people out there that want to get back out there. You know, it's it's the first talking point that you, you kind of get to when you talk. Say, oh, I was in live events. Anyone that you meet will come to you and say, oh, I can't wait to see a show. I'd go tomorrow. So mm -hmm. I don't think we have a shortage of people wanting to go. It's how do we get back to it safely and make sure that when we do it, we do it right. Mm -hmm. I always find it interesting to see large events getting posted online and how people respond because there's still a half. I'd say it's over half people going like, man, that's just, it's still really irresponsible, but I still see, you know, that sliver of people going like, yeah, that's right. That, you couldn't stop me from going to those shows. And I, I, I'm, I'm there myself. I'm, I'm 75% like, man, I want to get back to those shows. And I almost, I'm also 25% like, man, that's just not, not, we're not ready yet. Uh, yeah. And I, I, and I think what, what's tough is no one really knows. There's no good information sources. And <laughs> yeah, even as we're doing some of these events that we're doing um, that are virtual and we're going through the whole, you know, we'll do a test, we'll go into a bubble, we'll test every day, everyone wears masks. We limit the amount of people in certain spaces and, and things like that. You know, it's quite a process to get some of these things to happen. And even the, if you try and get guidance from the local governments or the, you know, anyone really, no one really says the same thing. So mm -hmm. it's hard to have a standard to hit so we can get back to doing these things. And I think right now everyone does it to protect themselves, like the artists, the crews, the people that are actually in the room at the time. And we're all doing it really cautiously because we want to get back to work as soon as possible in the normal way. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I, you know, I, I kind of agree too. It, it's who tells you that it's safe to go back and do a show and, and go into an arena. I mean, I don't think they know. I don't think anyone knows right now. I think that is more prevalent in America than it is in Canada. Uh, from what I've experienced up here, the, the rules have been very consistent. And there's a certain threshold where you go from one color to the next. And then if you're in red, these are the rules. And if you're in orange, these are the rules. In, in certain states, I've seen, okay, well, in red, these are the rules, except for restaurants, uh, well, this, this yeah. form of entertainment, and this form of entertainment. Yeah, and you, you, know, you go back to the model of, well, it's okay for everyone to sit next to each other on a plane, but not in a theater. Right. So, you know, who decides that and when, you know, is it? the right thing that we're doing. And I don't, until I think there's a bit more clarity on that, then um, it's going to be hard to, to know when it's time to go back and how to do it. Yeah. I, I'm sure we could speculate for hours on going down that rabbit hole. So one of the things that you mentioned was being able to cut deals with your clients and uh, there's, there's going to be a certain amount of hardball to be played. What's hard for me 
is that these are not just my clients, but they're, they're long-term relationships. How are you able to be upfront and completely honest with your clients, knowing that you also have a long-term relationship with them? And I, they, well, with the long-term relationships are actually easier, I think, than the, the newer clients, because you do have that relationship. And I've always been very open and honest when discussing rates and fees and how it works with the long-term clients, because you know, many of them I've come from being the guy on the road to transitioning off now and having like directors take it and then being there available to do things. So over the years, the deals that we've done have changed considerably. And I think it's no different. As long as you're honest about what you want to get out of it and how it works, I think the, the clients respect that a lot. And I think from their side, you'll get the same thing. You know, this is what we can pay. This is how we can fund it. If we can try and find this for you, we will. And I think just having that open dialogue is really important whenever you're doing any of these deals. It sounds like you just came into it with full mutual transparency to make sure that everybody's cards are on the table. And it sounds like you've, that's what you offer and that's what you expect in, re in return. I mean, there's been a lot of deals over the my, my career. So I've learned the hard way of, of making sure that you understand it completely before you get into it. And you've had those conversations and you understand all of it. So it's really important to be really clear and transparent and both sides would understand what happens in any situation. I, I would imagine if that comes from your core values, ever since I've known you, I would put you in the top 1% of all LDs that I've ever known and worked with. And yet you remain very humble and, uh, and approachable. Do you think that's always been a core value or a core philosophy of yours? Yeah, it definitely has. You know, I think that, you know, I like what I do. I love what I do, but it's definitely the people around me and, you know, the, the people we find for certain projects and the artists, like the collaboration is, is the key. So, you know, I, I see myself sometimes as orchestrating it a little bit, but there are definitely things that you see in some of those pictures you reference that have come from different people and we've helped to try and push them into that place. So it isn't just about me and I couldn't do the shows that I do without a big team of people behind. And I think, you know, recognizing that is, is definitely something that is my strong point. That must be a great feeling to know that when you post those pictures, Fireplay is more than just Nick Whitehouse. Whereas even though you're the, the founder and the CEO, you know that Fireplay represents a collective brand and all the people that are supporting that are all part of that. And it's not just a, it's not just your name on the line. It's everybody's. Yeah, exactly. And you know, a lot of the things, especially in this last year when we've changed what we've had to do and scramble to make things work, it's been a team effort. You know, every single person has played their part. Everyone's stepped up and everyone's kind of gone above and beyond to learn different roles, filling gaps you know, learn new technology, learn how to do things. And that's what makes our industry great. And the shows that we do great is every time we approach a project, we're trying to do something that's never been done before. So it's almost like it was training for what just happened in 2020. It's just like, all right, cool. Here's a whole new set of parameters. Now let's figure out how we do a show in this. <laughs> so one of the things that you mentioned was that your relationships have changed, meaning that you started off if I remember, you started off as a lighting technician. 
moved up to director, designer, and now CEO. Does that, do you have to like convince your clients that you're not a, a technician anymore? You're a director. And then do you have to then go back to them like, hey, so I'm not a director anymore. I'm a designer. Is that, is that how you cultivate those relationships or do you, is, does that require some cajoling? It requires some cajoling. <laughs> I think, I think um, the technician to director is, is kind of the easy part. You know, I, I worked in uh, the UK at the start of my career, um, actually at the Kentish Town Forum, which is I think now an O2 Academy. Uh, I was the household D there for a couple of years. Um, Brian Leach, who was a great designer, found a lot of talent in the UK. He was the one that gave me the opportunities there. And he's, you know, I started off as a technician for both the house and then what started working for his two companies um, and would do a lot of shows in that way. And pretty quickly, he recognized I was quite good on the console and moved me up in, into like kind of lighting director position for a few shows and then I kind of I was a sponge when I was a technician watching every LD watching everything that came through the house figuring out how looks were made that looked impressive so as soon as I kind of moved into that role I could suggest a lot more things and ultimately made it to designer pretty quickly because of all the things I'd learned back you know in technician world so once it got when directed to designer was the hardest bit I think because you know, people rely on known elements. Uh, Brian was a known element and he was a designer. And um, for a lot of those things, he's, he was my mentor. He helped me a lot to do that. And a lot of those shows, so like the early Coldplay shows, he moved from designer into kind of co-designer with me. And then the final tour, it was more like he was backup designer and he let me run with it because it was this cool idea. We had to do something in it. He was like, I don't really understand it, but I'll help. So it was kind of a progression and he recognized something in me that he pushed and you know obviously that's what started it and then from there it was the relationship with most of the clients from then was designer and the harder thing was then moving from on the road designer because they trusted that they could throw anything at me to okay so you're going to be remote and you'll have someone you trust to run it but what happens if i need to change something so it was making sure that they were comfortable with the relationship there and the people i was putting in place Oh man, that is such a tough one because it's from the outside looking in, you took his job, but from the inside looking out, you naturally grew and blossomed. And then it was just a natural progression. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that what, that's what makes a good kind of mentor or teacher or something is he also had the ability to say, it's my time to step aside. And, and actually we had that conversation, you know, so he, he was trying to push the next generation and he was trying to find people that could do things that he couldn't necessarily do because he didn't come up in the same era and he didn't come up, up, up facing the same challenges or with the same technology. So it was almost like this is better for the client if you take over, which was you know something that I admire greatly about him. And, it, and it's definitely how many of the people who are great at what they do now in the industry came up and Brian was responsible for a whole bunch of them. No, I think it's as true in the in the mafia as it is as it is in lighting that the sign of a true leader is somebody who's grooming the next people to replace themselves. If you exactly. if you don't replace yourselves, you're gonna just get stale. Yeah, and 
you know, every single person that comes to the table that you've put in that position brings something. So it might take you in a different direction and it will make the shows that you work on together completely unique. So you mentioned that Brian was a bit of your mentor. Did you have to work up the bravery to like be able to ask him questions and then and ask him for his knowledge? Uh, yes. Um, it was probably before Brian, because like I said, I was like the house LD at the forum. Okay. So it was, we had huge acts that came through there and I was the guy that used to do everything and climb the truss, gel the rig, fly it in and out, rig it, whatever was needed. And we had some great LDs that would come through there. And it was more me sitting there and pestering them and getting the courage to say, why would you do something like that? Because uh, it looked great. And um, <laughs> that's kind of where I got the courage to ask them questions. And I started to find that most of them wanted to sit there and talk about it rather than be like, I'm not telling you how I did that. You know, a lot of them would be like, well, well, like, you know, everyone hates me for it, but this is why I did it. Because, you know, unusual patches of park hands and weird focuses and not symmetrical and weird ways to rig things were all kind of things that I learned from LDs that were great and willing to say, this is why I thought of that. And I think you take all those things and you combine them and that's where you get your style from as well as your ideas. So, you know, understanding why someone did something is really important. And so, yes, asking Brian questions was always just like, why would you do that? And, you know, Brian's biggest strength was understanding where to put a light rather than what to do with it. You know, he could always, he could always find the right place and you'd look at his drawings and you'd be like, why would you do that? And then you see, you know, what he wants to get out of it and what he does with it. And you're like, oh, that's exactly why he did that. Makes sense. Because, um, you know, the days when I did the shows with him, we didn't have 600 lights in a rig. It was the big arena tours had 30 or 40. So knowing where to put things was vital. Otherwise you had big holes or you couldn't do the effects that you wanted to do. You couldn't just flood a whole stage with a light everywhere or video everywhere. So that was, you know, the big thing that I learned from him. And also, you know, client management, how to talk to people and how to treat people and how to treat the crews and how to treat people you worked with. And, you know, his thing was always, you've got to be as nice to people on the way up as because someday you'll be on the way down. He's just like, make sure everyone's your friend Every single person there's working their ass off. So don't ask someone to do something you wouldn't do yourself. And, you know, if someone needs help, help them. Don't just sit there and watch someone struggle, like jump in and do something. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the mentor-mentee relationship. Have you ever been sitting at front of house and uh, had somebody like kind of lurking behind you and you just get that feeling like they want to ask me, they want to talk. Have you ever just turned around and be like, hey, so come on up. Let's have a discussion. Yeah. Uh, especially when I was on tour, that used to happen a lot. And it would be weird because you see someone afraid to ask a question at first. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, no, come and have a look or I'll show you around. And um, Especially on those huge tours, when you get into the swing of touring, we'd have groups of people that would request, hey, you know, I'm from this college, so-and-so, we do theater. I've got a bunch of students. Would you be happy to show them around? And like the highlight of the day would be taking these kids on a tour and showing them all this crazy stuff that we were doing under the stage and things like that. And some of them still write to me, like, you know, you post something on Instagram and you see an old picture of Britney Spears or something. And I get five or six messages saying, Hey, you might not remember me, but in El Paso, you know, I was a group of those students that you showed around the stage. And that was the day I knew I wanted to do lighting and this is my career now. And it's really cool. 
you know, ah, but knowing that, knowing that you spent, you know, 10 minutes of your day explaining someone why you did something and that inspired them to do what they do for a living is, is crazy. Yeah. One of these days you'll get an email from those people like, Hey, so Nick, uh, I'm the creative director now for this and we'd love to have you come out here. And you're like, well, it's a good thing we met 12 and, and years fact, ago. In fact, that kind of happened. So really? Yeah. There was a, a girl that saw the Britney Spears circus show. She was an artist and illustrator and uh, she decided that she wanted to be a creative director and she found the creative director that she wanted to be mentored by and those guys have been working together and we've done we did Aerosmith together she was the assistant on that we did James Taylor together she was the assistant on that and you know she keeps coming back to that Britney story of like that's when I knew that I, you know I saw that show and I knew I wanted to do this oh that is full circle right there that's a great story yeah. I uh I'm waiting for that, that exact same thing it hasn't it hasn't fully come earlier but I'm I'm still putting out the karma waiting for it to come back because uh, that because those are the exact stories I want to hear. And to be honest, why not talk about what you do? That's what people like. It teaches people. It helps people. You know, there's no secret to what we do. It's just the way we do it. And I think talking about why you would do something is really important because it lets people understand how you got to what you got to. That relationship that you were just discussing must be just uh, the extreme of what we were talking about where she was either a, she was a viewer at one point and now she's your client that the complete dynamic has flipped. You know, they're now you're the one going like, well, geez, what would you like me to do? As opposed to the yeah. one being inspired by what you've done. Yeah. And it's actually a great relationship. So we kind of work together. And again, it's one of the, it's something that's happened because we've, we've done five or six shows together now. Uh, and so it, it's definitely a, she's like, well, what would you do? And it's like, well, maybe we could do this. And it, it's teamwork, the whole thing. You know, it's always better when you work together and there's always someone in the room saying, well, what if, you know, that's when the crazy ideas happen. Has that always worked out for you? Being able to share your knowledge with the, with the next generation and then kind of picking the, the cream of the crop and they become part of your team? I mean, most of the time, yeah, there's always some people that <laughs> that um, know better or think there's a better way or would rather just kind of ignore it. So, you know, don't hold any grudges, never anything like that. Just, you know, just move on and find someone else. How do you, how do you vet people that come into your, into your circle? Uh, let's say, uh, let's use Brian as an example. How did, what was the spark in Brian that, or Brian Vaughn that you're just like, man, that guy needs to be part of my team. So Brian became the lighting director for Thomas Rhett. Uh, for the second tour I did with him, the first arena tour actually. Um, and we sat in rehearsals and he just stood back and asked questions, said the right thing. And at one point I said, hey, Brian, here's your song. You know, program a song that you think that fits in the style I've just done. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go and grab a coffee. <laughs> and he, he was just like, it was daring the headlights moment, but he did a really good job. And we came back and we, we kept most of the programming he'd done intact. I suggested a few things to tweak. And uh, he was just the kind of guy that 
had the right attitude and had the ability and the knowledge. And he also, you know, he, he, it's easy to say, but he got it. Like he got on well. He knew how to talk to everyone. He wasn't, it had, there was no attitude. It was just a, you tell me what you want. I mean, he laughs at me now because he's like, you know, you can program that with two button presses when I'm doing 500 or something. I'm like, yeah, but I come from the old school way of doing it. There was no macros and things. So now he's like, what if I write you this? And he writes me something and it's like, all right, let's book. <laughs> Sometimes uh... we race, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, I want to do this big effect. And he's like, oh, you can just do that with this, this and this. I'm like, all right, cool. You try it there, I'll try it here and see who wins. So uh, it's good because 90% of the time I win, which is good, which is fun. Ah, old experience and, uh, and, and tried and true methods sometimes still yeah. prevail. They do. Uh, that's like one of those rock movie rock star moments where the, the rock star is just going to go off and chug a beer for a song. So he just hands the mic to an audience member. And then everybody in the audience goes like, whoa, that guy's got it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, I think for me, I, I've done that a few times where you just, you know, you, you're halfway through programming. You're like, why don't you try a few songs? Because you kind of, it proves a lot of things. It kind of proves that they've got the style that you're going for. For that particular show it proves that they got the ability and it proves that they've been watching what you've been doing because they have a particular style of programming which is pretty different to anyone else's so if they program it in that style you know they've been paying attention yeah which is the, that holds true to uh, what you had mentioned that we have to treat everybody equally the fact that you know brian sitting out there you're like hey come on program the show if when you give when you're able to give somebody that amount of respect, you're you're in general you're going to get that amount of respect back, and uh, like you mentioned on the way up, it's it's useful. On the way down, it's necessary. Yeah, and if you even think bigger picture, Brian's going to take that show on the road for the next year. What happens if they add a song? You know, it, it's almost the test to see if the song is added in the same style or it will just be completely out of you know, it won't fit with the arc of the show. So, you know, it's the other good reason for doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, Brian nailed it in his first day and he got it. And uh, he looked after that show amazingly. There was never an issue. He could fix everything. We stayed in touch and he did the next show even better. And then by the time we got to me needing a new lighting director for a Justin tour, he was the perfect fit. Yeah, that one's always a tricky one without complete transparency those sort of tough decisions can get tricky between a designer and a director whereas when uh, if you're at home in nashville or where or in vermont wherever you're at and the the tour is in paris and they add a song and you don't get the phone call like hey so we added a song if, if it comes back to you later hey we added a song and and we don't really like the way brian went with it and then next thing you know you're like i didn't know you added a song yeah, and, and, and that's, a, you know, the tricky thing with the Justin is he will do that. He'll change things, you know, he'll come up with an idea and mid-tour, it'd be like, oh, we're going to add an extra five bars in here. Are we going to cut this? Are we going to change this to here? You know, I need to have complete trust in Brian that I'm not going to get a phone call that, hey, this didn't work out so well. You know, so I do have that with him and I would be happy to send him to any client anywhere to, to do uh, anything you know, to be honest at this point, which is great. And there's a couple of people like that, that, that uh, I've met along the way, but they're hard to find, you know, because everyone 
has different personalities. You get on with different people in different ways. But, you know, I, I, I definitely see, especially Brian, him, he will progress to taking over some of these shows. So that's one thing. I think a lot of the, my audience members are very, have either become comfortable with doing that in lighting, but few of them have been comfortable doing that with their business. And that's something that you also have to do. You have to, you've, you've brought in people to actually manage bits and pieces of fire play as well. Whereas mm -hmm. the stakes are even higher. It's not just a color selection or a tempo change. It's, it's dollars and cents now. Is that something that you is. have to constantly be aware of? It was at the start. Um, again, the people in place are exceptional at what they do. So there's the whole comfort now of I, some, I don't even need to have some business conversations with people because I, I can trust that it's all taken care of. And we're in a place where it's just like, hey, talk to, you know, hey, talk to Russ. He'll, he'll deal with the rest. And I know it's got done in the right way and everyone's happy. So, you know, it, it's, again, it took a while to find the right person and for that person to understand how our business works. Cause you have to remember the music business is unlike no other. Cause mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's either about, um, are you getting the best price or are you getting the best service? And you know, that's how it works normally is like, are you the cheapest or are you the best? But in music, there's none of that. So you've got to find the middle ground and it's also hard for, you know, to understand how to negotiate some of these deals because after 20 years, I'm used to just throwing some numbers out there and be like, I think it's going to be around this. Is that going to be okay? And, you know, as you get new business managers and new people in our company, when they start having those conversations, they're just like, how did you figure that out? And, you know, we've done the hours and actually you're within a few hundred bucks. And I'm like, yep, I know what it costs to do a show. Yeah, that's a lot easier when, when times are thick. And, uh, and everybody's making money. But when the margins are razor thin, that becomes exponentially more important. And to have a whole team of people that are able to do that, that must be, must be very reassuring for you. It is. And, you know, luckily that's actually something that I've been part of with a lot of the shows I've done. Even though they've seemed, some of the, the shows that I've done have, have seemed enormous, some of them have been very budget conscious and very economically driven. Um, so that I would even say starting back in 2005, six, that's when we started paying attention to, okay, cool. There's not an unlimited budget here. How do we make something look great for the money we have? And it's also part of the reason that I think I was pretty successful back from that period was that we were doing these enormous shows, but they were making money too. So as touring became more of a vital business for the artists, it was kind of that model that started to build that okay, this is where we want to make our money as well as showing off the album. So being able to do an amazing creative tour that kind of people would be like, I need to go see that tour, but also at the same time have the artists make money from it was definitely where the business was going. And that's, I think that's something that Fireplay's taken on really well now is we can do these shows and they can look spectacular, but the artists can still also make a decent living from it. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you've created the most magical, wonderful moment in all of concert touring history, if it if it doesn't make money, you're not going to get asked back. So that's, uh, that is the, the fine trucks, line you have it to doesn't get, It doesn't get to the venue on time and it doesn't make money, then, you know, it's a no win. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I would imagine that the entire industry is facing 
Now, I would imagine that there's going to be a lot of people coming like, hey, so we still want the same level creativity. We just can't afford the same, the same budget. So that's something that we're all going to have to kind of be very hyper aware of. Like, are, am, I, am I making a creative compromise or am I making a monetary compromise here to, to make these new events happen? And that's the trick, isn't it? So, you know, going back to when I said I was working with Brian and we were doing these arena shows that still stand up to the looks of the shows with the 600 lights, but with 30 or 60, it's all about creativity. And it's all about understanding what you want to do and what you can do with it. And I think over this next year and maybe two years, as we start to come back in and people are wanting to do, you know, spend less on their touring, but be equally as creative, which is also important. I think it's going to allow designers and the creatives um, an opportunity here to really succeed. Like you could do some really cool stuff with not as much, but you have to think about it a bit more. So, you know, it's almost like you have to spend more on the creative and less on the equipment to get the right people and teams in place to make what you want to do better. Um, yeah. I'm not trying to not sell any more lights for you there, but <laughs> <laughs> it will also come down to the light too. So, I, I mean, you know, it, it's going to fixture choice is going to be even more important because yeah. you have to pick the right thing for the right job and know where you're putting it. I mean, think that some of the art that has been lost by the fact that we could afford, you know, 300 Sharpies or something like that and put it on a show and you just turn them on and they look good. So now trying to figure out how to design a rig with less stuff that still looks good. I think it's more important for people to, to go back and look at the things that have been done in the past and the, you know, like some of the old Michael Jackson shows or Genesis things where there weren't tons of fixtures or even Pink Floyd, you know, there's not, it looked incredible, but there's probably a 10th of the fixtures that are on some of just the average arena tools now. So I, it was just the programming and the way the LD and the lighting directors and the people on it works. And I think as we go back into doing these shows, instead of discounting the creative and saying, we're just going to hang a few trusses up there and see what happens. I think it's going to be vital that everything that's done for those shows is thought about, planned and, and properly kind of executed. And the, I think it's going to be important for the artists and the events to remember that creative is, is kind of, half the thing that people experience at a show. They come to listen to the music, but it's the creative that takes it to the next level and makes people want to come back. Yeah, I think if there's one positive that's going to come from this is that we might lose a little bit of the excessive or even gluttonous amounts of flash and trash that exist. We might have to go back to the creative fundamentals and see what it is to just generate that that core impact again without... Yeah. Four trucks I, you know, extra I, lighting. I'm definitely guilty of it myself. You know, the, as we were getting into 2019, there were some of these shows where you just threw lights at it to make it look good. And, you know, you lost a little bit the art of what you were trying to do because you could just make it look great. You know, move a lot of lights, change color and flash them with big, you know, big hits on the JDC ones. And it was a cool look. And I think what's going to be cool moving forwards is it's time to go back and try and be a bit more creative and create some of those almost iconic moments. Because for me, the things that have stood out over the past few years have been the things that have been different. You know, when you, you see a show and you don't see the lights and you just, you know, it, maybe it's one light or like things like Post Malone is pretty crazy the way that that's lit with just sheets of light, you know, going back to watch the throne, 
we didn't have moving lights for most of the show. It was just lasers and uh, and these big, like Jarags. I think if if you remember, like ninety mm-hmm. percent of the show was that, and it created these moments with the video and the artist that you're like, that made that tour iconic. Um, so I think having the ability to to have to think about it and be more creative, I think it will help our industry. I think you know people will there'll be new um, talent that comes through that has these great ideas that we haven't thought about before that need to be pushed to, to kind of do these tours and to, and to kind of bring their ideas into fruition. I think it's going to be a cool time for us. I think the way you're talking right now, you've actually flipped a lot of the ideas on their head. A lot of people would be like, well, we've got a really thin margin on this upcoming tour. There's no way we could afford somebody like a like a Nick Whitehouse or Fireplay on this one. I would flip it on like you can't afford not to have a Fireplay Nick Nick Whitehouse on this tour because because your margins are so thin. You need every you need to squeeze every ounce of creativity and effectiveness out of this rig as possible. I mean, I would hope so. Um, <laughs> but that's also the other argument that I hear a lot and I'm sure your listeners and you've heard is, you know, we can just throw two sticks of truss up there and no one will care because they want to get back to live music. So I think that that can happen for a while, but people are going to, you know, the same as the, the streams from the artist bedroom, people get bored of it really quickly. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, it's a bandaid. I don't think it's sustainable though. I think it's just a way to stop the bleeding. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's the surgery that people are going to need to make this, to get us back to arenas and stadium tours. And why wouldn't you take advantage of the, you know, the millions of people in this industry that have just taken a year to figure out new things, to come up with ideas, to train themselves on new software, like take full advantage of it. These guys, everyone's ready to go. We're not sat here going, we're really happy to be at home. Everyone wants to be back on tour and everyone wants to be doing live shows. So, you know, let's do it. Like let's come up with some cool things to do and, let's do some shows and the kind of shows that haven't been experienced recently and set new, you know, set new barriers and boundaries. Sorry. Uh, you know, set, mm-hmm. set things where people go, that was really cool. Did you see that? You know, that's what we want. Yeah. I was just having the conversation the other day for the first time in entertainment history from one tour to the next, there won't just be four weeks of innovation uh, for the first time in history, there will be an entire year's worth of innovation having taken place from from the last tour of 2019 to the first tour of 2021. I mean, we the industry has been quiet, but we have not been sitting on our butts doing nothing. No, and, and I, I think that's also cool because, you know, most of the creative people I know, when they come up with ideas, they write it down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're going from one tour to the next, a lot of things carry over... It, you know there's not this massive oh cool here's the, here's the massive new idea so you know back in the early days of my touring it would be two or three shows a year and you'd have the time in between to be like oh this is what we can do next and then as it kind of got busier and busier you lose that time to think about it so you're right like there's got to be a million creative ideas out there that just haven't been seen before ready to go mm-hmm. they just need the right artist and the right team to be behind them and i think you know i'm excited to see what people do it's kind of the perfect storm. You've got a concert starved audience and a creative starved production team 
we it's a perfect storm for some some real world events here to really shatter some people's minds and and really put on some 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 epic events i think so and i and i think it's it's exactly the right time it'll be the right place everyone will be ready mm-hmm. and i think the money will be there to to, to from the ticket sales because people are going to want to go and do stuff again you know we've had a whole it's the same with them we've had a whole year of netflix so <laughs> let's go and see live stuff enough tiger king i can't i can't watch tiger king again queen's gamut amazing but it's nothing next it's nothing compared to having a beer sitting next to a complete stranger in a dark room so no i'm failing the music yeah uh we are one of the questions that i wrote down that i've always wanted to ask do you find more joy in a year that you've only had maybe three clients or do you enjoy having a year where you've had 30, 30 clients? So either like five, let's say three A-level clients, 30 B-level, which one would you take more joy and pride in? I think the, uh, the, the least, so the, the kind of three A-level clients, because I like to, I really like to deep dive into the, you know, the idea behind the music um, and where the album comes from, where the, you know, everything about that and fit everything we do to that. And sometimes when you're doing 30 smaller clients in a year, either they won't be, they won't care as much about what their show looks like. And they're just like, I just want something cool behind me or will they'll be too busy to concentrate on the time. When you're doing these big mm-hmm. shows, you know, I mean, some of those JT tours we've developed for a year before they've even got into rehearsals. Um, and I think it's really, uh, it's one of those moments where you sit back and you see the first show and you're just like, that's really cool. Everything about that was right. So you have the time to go in there, develop it, try things, fix things that don't quite work. Kind of not even just lighting. Like there's a lot of times on some of those big shows where we'll change the music to fit a lighting moment we created, and things like that. So you get to the whole experience is developed around the fan experience, and you don't get to do that on the 30 smaller shows. It's more like you know, let's just create something cool and and get it out and then move on. Yeah, I guess it kind of gets a factory feeling after a while. It's just. Well, it's still three sticks, but I, I did this and this and this, and then I sent it out. Yeah. And it's less of a factory to more of a, you know, we didn't have the time to fully develop this. So we didn't have the engagement of the artist to fully develop it to where it could have been. Because there's a lot of times mm-hmm. you leave one of those shows and you're like, if I'd have only known this when we designed it, it would have been better. And look, on the bigger shows, you have the time to get through all that so that, you know, hopefully by the time you've left it, you're just like, actually, that was the perfect show for that moment. That's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely look forward to getting back to that sort of uh, that feeling where you get to share something that you've been working on for a year or even a month to just present it in front of a room of people and then and just get that applause. I think that's probably the one thing I'm the most, I think I'm applause deficient these days. I mean, I, I will always say to someone, that's why, you know, if you want to know the moment, why we love this job it's you standing there in the middle of an arena full of people and you see their reaction to what's being created like that's why i do this job that's the ultimate there's nothing there's no other feeling like that in the world Mm -mm. 
No, I, I'm definitely starved, and I think it, I think most of my audience is shares that sentiment with you. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully we can be doing that again really soon. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to chat. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. <laughs>